Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. This morning, uh, but I, I know uh, that I do believe I, I have a word to share with you today. I was praying uh, all this week just about what God would like for me to share a word of encouragement. And I believe this is a word uh, for a lot of you in this body, even during worship and even during just my preparation this week. I really felt that part of what God was speaking to my heart was that the Lord wanted uh, to. To overturn some hopelessness in some people's lives, some despair, people that felt like they just couldn't get ahead, that their situation couldn't change, that God wanted to bring some encouragement uh, into your life this morning. So 2 Kings chapter 7, this is a, a relatively lengthy passage of scripture, but just hang with me. 2 Kings 7 verse 3 says this, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit there, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact in their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they then went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp and hid themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the sea. In other words, the king says, this news is too good to be true. Somebody's playing a trick on us. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent, in the, sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. 
So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seal was fine, a fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seals of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God spoke to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that the officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you, Father, you have something to say to us today. Thank you come to bring us encouragement, Lord. You come to release something in our hearts, in our lives, not just to make us feel good, but to, to, to shift things yes. spiritually. Yes. I thank you, Father, that you anoint my tongue this morning as that of a ready and skillful writer to speak forth your words of life, exhortation, edification, and comfort to your people. I thank you for all of us in this room that you anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our spirit to respond to what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody says... Amen. So in this scripture, in this, in this narrative, we are introduced to these four men who are in a very tough situation, right? We could even say that their situation is dire. As a matter of fact, their situation can't get much more dire than it appears to be. They have leprosy. If you don't know what leprosy is, that is a flesh-eating disease, okay? So it's bad enough that you're sick, you have this disease, there is no cure for it. It is literally a death sentence. It's just a matter of time of your body literally rotting and eating away at itself until you die. That's bad, right? But then to top that off, in this day under the law and the way that they're living, lepers couldn't even be part of a community. The only kind of community they were involved with at all was people who were also lepers. So you were only around people who were also in as bad of a situation as you were. So you're put out from your family, you're put out from friends, you're put out from everybody you've ever known, and you are made a complete outcast of society. So you are sick, you are broken, you are an outcast. It is a bad situation for these four men. They're separated, they're put out, they can have no contact. That alone is worse, but it gets even worse. That alone is bad. It gets worse. Their nation is in utter decay. Famine has struck. There's no food in their land. If you read a couple chapters back, you'll, you'll find where it talks about them selling a, a, a donkey's head for food. And if you actually go and, and read um, and, and actually gives the monetary amount, and if, if you do a little bit of basic math and account for inflation, it basically accounts to, um, in, in the U.S. dollar, in today's money, a donkey's head would be selling for over $1,000 for someone to eat. That's scarcity. You thought your trip to the grocery store was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. These dudes are fighting over donkey's heads for $1,000. That's a bad place to be, yeah. right? We, yeah. we, had a, we had a wild game feast a couple weeks ago uh, in, in, in PC, and we had, some, we had some stuff that was out there a little bit, but not for me, but for other people it was. Uh, for, for my dad, my pastor Micah's dad, we had to order some fried chicken because he wouldn't eat anything else that we had to eat. That's a true story. He was like, are we having like some fried chicken? I was like, we, we can for you, I guess. And that's exactly what we did. Um, and there was a lot of fried chicken left over. But we had some outrageous stuff. But we weren't eating donkey's heads, right? That's pretty, that's pretty desperate. 
to be in that place where you're eating a donkey's head. And it really even gets uh, worse because it also talks about how they were literally in such a place of famine and decay that people are eating their own children. They are in a horrible situation with a horrible disease in a horrible uh, um, um, uh, uh, social construct and situation where they don't have friends with that they can uh, they can lean on or anybody that, that that they can count on or talk to in the middle of their despair and then to top it all off on the other side there's an invading army the Syrians who are certainly not friends of theirs and want to kill them these guys are between a rock and a hard place and their legs are broke it is as bad as it can possibly get in this situation how many ever been through a situation have been through a season or maybe you're in a season of life you're like can anything else just go wrong right y'all know what i'm talking about could could one more thing just go the way that i don't want it to go could my kid come home with one more bad grade right could 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 one more person get the promotion ahead of me that I've been believing for, that I know that I'm qualified for, and I work harder than all these other jokers, and other people keep getting promoted and keep getting the position that I want, and I have no clue why in the world I'm stuck and everybody else who's lazy keeps getting promoted. I'm sick, and I can't quite seem to get over the sickness in my body. My kids are acting jacked up, and they're running away from God and they're running away from relationship with me and everything's messed up can things get much worse listen you have it pretty good compared to these guys in the situation they were going through and let me just as a side note let me just say this you always have something that you can find to be thankful for at the end of the day I know we are entering we are entering a Thanksgiving season I know some of y'all skipped right over that and went straight to Christmas but we are in, a th- in, in the season of Thanksgiving. And let me just encourage you, no matter what you're going through, you can always find something that you can be thankful for. Amen. I don't care how bad things look, you can find something to be thankful for. Actually, I talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas. Our, our, uh, our uh, Connect pastor, worship leader, uh, Pastor Castle, he posted yesterday uh, all his Christmas decorations. And I said, Thanksgiving would like a word with you, yeah. sir. Yeah. We can always find something to be thankful for. But we've all been in these situations. Or, and by the way, if you haven't been in a situation like this, uh, you probably will be at some point in time. And that's not a negative faith situation. We simply live in a fallen world. Things go wrong. Things happen. And not everything always goes your way. So if you've never been in this spot before, you probably will be at some point where there seems like there's destruction on all sides. doesn't seem there's no, any way out. There's no path to victory. And how do we react Whenever that is what we are facing in life. How do we react? Let me tell you how most people react. Most people talk about how bad the situation is. Right? We talk about how everything's gone wrong. We voice all of our complaints to anybody who will listen. We complain and complain and complain. If, If we are really unwise, we blame God. And sometimes even in our... Supposed wisdom, we blame God. Well, things, everything, you know, everything's just going wrong. I guess it's what what God willed for me in my life. God's will for your life is not for you to live in defeat and for you to live in difficulty and you to live in struggle all the days of your life. And by the way, God doesn't doesn't send difficulty and destruction and calamity and sickness your way to try to teach you something. God uses the Holy Spirit to teach you. Not destruction in the hand of the enemy. That's a whole other message. But 
This is what we do. We blame God. And then we sit idly by and we just wait for death. We wait for things to just get worse. We wait for things to not turn around. However, I think we have to shift and we have to make a choice to be like these men, these leprous men who said, why sit here till we die? Why keep doing what we've always done? Why keep believing the way that we believe that God is here? Why sit in negative faith and accept destruction? You can't just sit and die. You have to do something. You have to do something. You can't just sit and accept destruction. Why sit here till you die? You have to get this kind of attitude that says, listen, if I'm going down, I'm not going to go down without a fight. If, I'm, if, if, if I feel like I'm going down, I'm at least going to go down swinging. Because you never know what can happen. You never know when the things can suddenly shift and turn. All it takes is a moment of God's intervention for everything in your life to shift and change. And what was a problem today becomes something that's in your past and not part of your reality tomorrow. All it takes is a moment. I'm telling you, I, I still believe in this. I, I believe, obviously, and more often than not, God does things progressively, right? More often than not, deliverance is not instantaneous, it's progressive. More often than not, healing is not instantaneous, it's progressive. Most time, restoration is not instantaneous, it's progressive. However, I still do believe in the power of a moment. I still believe that in a moment, things can go from broken to put back together. I still believe that in a moment, God can take what was broken and supernaturally put it back together again. I still believe that in a moment, God can cause what was, what was hurting to be healed in just a second. And if nothing else, you need a moment to initiate a process. If, even if it's not tomorrow, you need to start today to get where you're going in the future. You still need the initiation moment. It's time to get moving. In your financial situation, it's time to get moving. In your family situation, it's time to get moving. In your health, to get moving. Don't simply wait to die. Why accept the diagnosis and confine yourself to defeat? I don't care what everybody else has told you. That's the way it's always going to be. Listen, well-meaning people will give you bad counsel. Job's friends weren't evil. They were his friends. And it was Job's friends that told Job to curse God and die. That was bad counsel. Were they evil men? No. They were very well-meaning people that were tired of seeing their friend hurt. But they they couldn't see the end of the thing of where God wanted to take Job on the other side. Listen, you have to get vision for where God wants to take you even when nobody else has it. You have to get a, and and listen, for those of you who have prophetic words and prophetic promises, you know, one of the reasons that, I'm not necessarily teaching on the prophetic this morning, but one of the reasons that God gives you a prophetic word is to give you a weapon to fight with. Right? That's why Paul tells Timothy to wage a good warfare with the prophecies that have gone over his life. Why does he tell him that? Because Paul understands, Timothy, there are going to be moments in your life that look very different than the word that you've been given. How many ever been, how many ever had a word and then what happened in your life looked completely opposite of what the word says? As a matter of fact, more often than not, I've seen this. I, 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 hear, I want you to hear, the, hear my heart in the way I say this. Sometimes I hate getting prophetic words. Right? Because I know that God's giving me a weapon for a battle I'm about to have to fight that I don't want to have to fight. I'm like, God, everything's good right now. I don't need any words. Y'all just, just leave me alone. 
Some people go to, some people go to conferences praying to get words. I, I like try to hide in the back so I don't get a word. I'll give you an example. Whenever uh, Josiah was, uh, well, before he was born, when Miranda was in third trimester pregnant with him, we, we got this word from, from people that we love and, and, and respect, and I trust the accuracy of their prophetic word and, and that they hear from God. They gave us this word, and they gave us this word and said this. I just see that when this baby comes, that your faith is going to go to new levels. And we go, yes, hallelujah, praise God, shout because she's going to have a baby, and our faith is just going to shoot to a new place. But that's not how it works. You know when your faith grows is when you have to fight battles you've never had to fight before. Right, yeah. Never had to fight before. And uh, I'll make a really long story short, but Josiah ended up being six weeks early. We got this word, what, maybe a week or two before he was born. Josiah was six weeks early. He had the cord wrapped around his neck twice. He had a full knot in his cord. And whenever he was born, the phrase that they were using was still. He didn't breathe for the first two minutes of his life. And as a matter of fact, he was cold. He was gray. He was blue. He was lifeless when he was born. And then all we got whenever they were able to revive him was negative report, negative report, negative report, negative report. Well-meaning people who are giving us negative reports on his health and his future and his outlook. Whenever this baby comes, your faith is going to go to levels that, you, that it has never been at before. You know why? Because we had to believe like we had never had to believe before. Right? A word comes over your life to give you a weapon to fight with, not because it's going to be smooth sailing and you're just going to get there without any problem or difficulty or any bumps in the road. God gives you a word and, and he forearms you knowing some battles that you're going to face in the days ahead. They told us whenever he was born that he would always be the smallest and the runt of the litter and he'd always be tiny and he would never really grow to be big and you, that is not the case. <laughs> right? They gave us all of this prognosis and I'm so thankful for doctors and nurses and everything they did and I'm incredibly grateful and thankful. As a matter of fact, one of the nurses who was actually in the room when he was born attends our church now. But the thing is this, people may have one prognosis but God has a different prognosis over your situation. They told us he'd always be small, he'd always struggle, he'd always have this, he'd always be that. But And I literally remember one day when the one of the very first days, of course, I'm a 24-year-old, uh, or I was going to say 23, almost 24, whenever he was born. And, and we go into the NICU the first day that he is in there. And in my faith, I look at the nurse and say, when do we get to take him home? And she looked at me and said, you don't understand, sir. You're a very sick baby. He's going to be here a minimum of six weeks, probably more like eight to ten. You're going to be here a long time. And even after you're done here, it's going to be a long road to haul. There's going to be a lot of problems and a lot of issues for all the days of his life. And she walked off, and I looked at Miranda, and I said, we just don't receive that in Jesus' name. I, I just, I understand that they're going by what they see, but I just believe something different. He was in the NICU for six days. Came out of the NICU. Whenever we took him to his very first pediatrician's appointment, to see his doctor after he got out because we had to go within 24 or 48 hours something of him being discharged they, they, our, our doctor looked at him and said he was premature 
And we said, yes, sir. They said, well, if it wasn't for just his size, I would have no clue that he's premature because he has none of the other signs of prematurity. Listen, people may have a prognosis, but God has the final say. You don't have to live in hopelessness. You don't have to live in despair. And you don't have to accept just what everybody else says when you have a more sure word than what man has said. Why accept it? Keep moving. Don't settle. But this is, this is what it comes down to. This is what set, separates the proverbial men from the boys is this. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe what God said? Because if you really believe, you refuse to sit and accept destruction. You see, beginning to move requires faith. And many people would rather accept destruction than exercise faith. Because operating in faith requires exercising it. And let's just be real. A lot of people are spiritually lazy. Well, what do you mean? I mean it requires you doing something. You can't just be like, God, you do it all. I'm just going to sit here and watch you do it. You have to get involved in the battle. You have to begin to do what you know to do. Listen, we have a nation and a culture and a society that's in decay because the church would rather complain than exercise faith. We have people that are really quick to post on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever about how bad everything is rather than do something about it. Well, you want to talk about how bad everything is. When's the last time you prayed for your coworker that was had problems? Well, you want to talk about all the issues. When's the last time you gave to something that was reaching into somewhere? Come on, come on. We, in, in, in our city, we have a, uh, our high school that's right down the road from, it's actually the high school that my wife graduated from, my parents graduated from there. It's like two and a half miles from the church, maybe, if even that. And uh, they literally are basically, the whole school is on the chopping block because the school has graded so terribly the past couple of years. And uh, essentially, it's like if they don't bring the grade up, then they'll uh, the school either has to find somebody to charter it to stay open, or the whole school just gets shut down. Well, whenever we heard about, and by the way, the school directly across the street from us, uh, which is an elementary school, is in the same situation. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of variables for why, not the least of which being the hurricane and then COVID and all of that. They kind of put them behind the eight ball a little bit, um, but. You know what we didn't do as a church? We didn't sit and just complain about it and go, man, all those kids and parents are just so terrible and awful and why in the world are they making everything look so bad? You know what we did? We got involved. That's right. You know what we did? We started, we started hosting events for the teachers. You know what we did? We went and we prayed over the grounds. You know what we've done? We, 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 have, a, we have a partnership with the school, and I think we've had this for years now, back to whenever, whenever Pastor Mike and Chelsea were still even there. We have a partnership with the school that anytime there's a kid that has a need, whether it's, whether it's socks or a, or a bike or a, a, a backpack or whatever it is that they need, they send us over a, a request form for that student, and it's filled like that. Within 24 hours, they get what they need. Because it's real easy to complain about the condition of something. But what are you doing to help fix it? Right? You know what we did with the high school? We got involved. Our youth pastor is super involved over there. He's over there literally every week doing something. He's, we're feeding basketball team. And we're feeding basketball and volleyball and football. And we're involved all over the place there. You know why? Because don't complain about what you're not willing to do something about. 
Don't just complain about your situation. What are you doing to help fix it? Don't just complain about the issues in your community. How are you involved to see things shift and change? Right? right? It's easy to complain. It's a lot more difficult to do something. Yeah. Here's the deal. God wants you to realize that whatever it is that you're facing difficulty in, that it's not over. It wasn't over for these men, and you're in a much better situation than these men. You have a more sure word of prophecy that says your situation is not over. You have the word that says your situation is over. Your family situation, your financial situation, your health situation is not over. But you have to really believe it. Because if you really believe it, you'll refuse to sit. You will. Beginning to move requires faith. But you can't say you have faith and be idle. James 2. You can turn there real quick if you want. I'm going to go ahead and start reading it. James 2, 14 says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And then down to verse 18, it says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Whew. I'm going to read that again. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to live it. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by, faith, by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by his works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Let me put it this way. Let me, let me really break this down for you in a real succinct way, right? Real succinct way. We have a lot of confessors and not enough doers. Yes. Simply believing in what you want isn't enough. Even James says, listen, you believe in God, good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh -huh. What is your life saying? Your believing has to transfer to action. Your believing has to transfer to doing something. Your belief has to transfer in a way into activity both spiritually and naturally that begins to shift things right you put it for you this way you you, you believe god wants to bless you great get a job yeah yeah have a budget right right don't spend money you don't have because you can confess all you want the word but what are you doing in the natural to see things shift Right? You can you can prophesy about family restoration all that you want, but if you're being a jerk to everybody in your family, good luck seeing restoration. Maybe you need to let love grow in you. Right? You can believe for help all you want. Maybe you need to get off Netflix and go for a walk. Right? We have to pair our faith with some action. And by the way, another action you need to do with all of these things is prayer. Yes. Don't just talk about what you want. Pray for it. Believe for it. 
intercede for it, stand for it. Your believing has to transfer to action. You can have enough prophetic words to fill a terabyte hard drive and enough of them transcribed to fill a whole book. But unless you begin to move, nothing's going to change. Some people complain about their situation. That never goes anywhere. Others confess the word, and that's a good start. But the word should compel you to action. You can't be a hearer only of the word. You have to be a doer. Scripture is very clear about that. You have to be a doer of the word. And I'm just honestly, in, in today's world, I'm just tired of lazy believers. Can I just be honest? I'm just tired of people that are lazy and don't ever want to do anything. People that want to talk about it all the time but never want to do anything. Right? Talk is cheap. Say it again. Talk is cheap. I grew up in the era of, 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 of the NBA when Michael Jordan was king. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Right? And all you people that think LeBron is better, y'all need to repent. <laughs> I grew up in that era, and uh, I watched the NBA. I loved the NBA, especially when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I could stand up here and talk all the smack I want. MJ ain't got nothing on me. Just let him meet me on the court, and I'll show him what I can do. And 60-whatever-year-old Michael Jordan would still smoke me if we got on the court. Right? Because I am a 5'10 on a good day white guy who is not that athletic. MJ would smoke me. I could talk a big game. But I couldn't back it up with what I do. And I'm just honest, just to be really transparent and honest with you, I'm tired of believers that talk a great game, but when it gets to being on the court, they can't back it up. I'm tired of people that have all the right things to say, but they don't do any of the right things. And oftentimes we end up in self-inflicted situations because we talk real well, but we don't do anything with it. Hmm? And not every situation is self-inflicted. Sometimes we do the right things. Life happens. Things happen. And we end up in bad situations. But the good news is when that is the case, God will turn it around. Yes. So we see with these men. Far too often we're waiting for God to move, but God's waiting for us to be faithful and begin to step out. What's the worst that can happen? Your situation, you have leprosy. There's an army invading against you. What else bad could happen? Why are you not doing something different? Your situation can't get any more jacked up than it already is. Why sit still? So what happened with these four lepers, they began to change something. They began to shift their position. Hear me. If you would spiritually begin to shift your positioning from victim to victor, you would be amazed at what could transpire. Because God hasn't made you a victim. And you're certainly not victimized by God. Or by His Spirit. I can't God is not a mean, old, angry, ogre man in the sky who wants to hurt and punish you and maim you. That is not who God is. And if that is your perspective of God, if, if your perspective of God is still the, the, the Jonathan Edwards perspective of God, of God's dangling you over the fire just hoping He can kill you one day, that is not who God is. That's not who a father is. And one of the primary things He is described as is Father. And I want good things for my son who's sitting on the front row. Do I correct him? Of course. Of course. Is there chasing in his life? Of course. Would I ever do anything to hurt him? Absolutely not. I would never do anything to harm my, my, 
my son or my daughters. God's not out to try to harm you. And by the way, he's a lot better than you are. He's a whole lot better than you are. And if you wouldn't harm your children, he's not looking to harm you. God is good. He, he is more good than you can imagine. He's better than we can possibly fathom. Some of y'all struggling with that. Some of y'all come through some lines where you think that God is just out to kill everybody. That's not who God is. He's good. I said he's good. So, you're made to be a victor. God made you to be a victor. God didn't make you for defeat for, for suffering, for living through problems your whole life. Do we go through those things? Of course we do. Is it because that's what God made you for? Absolutely not. It's because we live in a fallen world because we have flesh, because the enemy is at work. We go through these things, but you've got to move. These men, these lepers, they refuse to sit idly by, and they start moving. And their movement begins to move heaven. The movement of these four men has the sound and the effect of a great army. The only way that this could have happened was God moving on their behalf. God looked at their faith. He looked at their, their heart. And he moved on their behalf. Listen, your movement moves God. What you, do, what you do moves God. Whenever you worship, it moves God. Whenever you pray, it moves God. Whenever you read the Word, it moves God. Whenever you give, it moves God. Whenever you begin to do things, and listen, I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about some sort of transactional thing where I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm doing this because I want God to do X. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Right? But then in that, it moves God. You might just be one mom who's believing but when you move in faith, you're greater than a single person. Are you with me? You might be one father and mother who are standing in the gap for your children who are wayward. But I'm telling you, your heart begins to move God. And the effect is a lot greater than just what you are. There is a multiplied effectiveness whenever you begin to move in faith. It was the same action. It was four men moving. But what the Syrians heard wasn't four men moving. The Syrians heard a great multitude of people advancing. It was greater than the natural reality. God amplifies what you're thinking. You begin to move. Romans chapter 8, real familiar. If God is for us, then who can be against us? When you actually start moving, nothing can stop you. And there's a fallout from this. And in a single moment... A city goes from devastation to plenty. Hear this. What the belief and the moving of these men didn't just impact them, it impacted everyone around them. Because whenever God begins to move for you, I believe this, there is an overflow that just gets on other people around you. Listen, you're going to be blessed in your workplace, but it's not just you. Your boss is going to get blessed because you get blessed. Your co-workers are going to be blessed because you're blessed. I, I believe for our, I talked about that, that school across the street from us that's, struggled, that's been struggling. Which, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute. But let me say this. Whenever God starts blessing a place, places that are around it get blessed. And we've just been in a situation where God's been doing great things in our church body. And we've been in, at that school as much as we can, had them over as much as we can. And they were literally, I think year before last, they tested as an F school. They were a C school last year. And they are expecting to be in A school this year. Because I'm telling you, whenever God starts blessing you, it gets on other people. 
What God does for you begins to affect not just you, but other people as well. Your movement has a fallout that affects others. And your faithfulness and your willingness begins to have a positive reaction in the lives of other people. So today, as I close, my question is for you is this. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you feel hopeless about, whatever it is that you feel is just broken and can't be put back together, Whatever it is in your life that you're looking at, whether it is your family, whether it is your finances, whether it's your health, whether it's your job, and, and we could name a thousand other things, your marriage, whatever it might be that you look at and go, I don't know how in the world God's going to fix it. Why sit there till you die? Yeah. Yeah. Why accept the current reality as the end? Because God's not done with your story. Right. I said, God's not done with your story. There's some of you in here, you've had marriages that are struggling. God's not done with your marriage. He's not done with it. And on the other side of this can end up being a credible testimony that can minister to other people. I was thinking we actually, I'm actually going to close um, in a minute. Y'all are probably used to this, right? They're related. That's right. We have, we have a an awesome couple in our church. They're actually on the board. Chelsea actually works with, um, with the uh, Pastor Chelsea works with uh, the wife, Kathy Harkis, and they gave testimony at our pastor appreciation event we just had. Their marriage, from all indicators, was dead. I mean, it was dead years ago. It's been 15 years ago or so now. I mean, it was in a bad spot, a horrible spot. It was awful. And it was dead. But you know what? God came and moved because they refused to just accept what they were going through as the final word. And now, years later, they've ministered to dozens of marriages and helped bring restoration to other people after they walked through a season of restoration themselves. Listen, whatever it is that you're going through right now, God can heal you. He can heal your situation. And not only that, He can use it and turn it, and it can become a testimony that begins to minister to other people and see them come through the same thing. That's why the book of Revelation says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We overcome through what Jesus did, but there is, a, there is an element of overcoming that happens whenever you hear what God's done for somebody else, and you go, if He did it for them, He can do it for me. And I'm telling you right now, just like these four leprous men, how God turned the situation for them, He can turn the situation for you as well. All you have to do is get moving, believe, and do something. And watch as it begins to shift. Will you stand up to your feet this morning? I hope you got something out of this. I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord real quick. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you it brings life. We thank you hopelessness is being broken today. We thank you, Father God, people who came into this room feeling like there was no hope. That even as this message is going forth, Lord, that they feel hope arising in their hearts. That they don't have to consign themselves to defeat. That they don't have to consign themselves to just accepting what the world has said it would be. But, Lord, that you can turn the situation around. Lord, that you are moving on their behalf because you love them. Because you want what's best for them. And because you have a plan and a purpose for them. Can we all lift our hands in the room? Listen, if that's you this morning, I just want you to receive hope today. 
Father, we release hope in this room, Father. We release hope, Father God. We release even power to believe again, power to stand again, a second wind strength even being released in this room right now, that having done all to stand, that we will continue to stand, that whenever we feel like we don't have the answer anymore, that we will keep standing, that when we feel like we are at our wits end, that we will keep standing, we will keep moving, and we will see turnaround. We release fresh vision, fresh destiny, fresh hope over the people of God this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Now come on, if you believe it this morning, can you give the Lord a hand of praise, a shout of victory and triumph? Come on, let them know you love Him today.